I'm going to pray for us. Uh, Jeff's going to be here all day, uh, and so trust that God has lots to say and do through you. Let me pray for him. Father, we do love you, and uh, the fact that you treat us like children, uh, helping us to grow to maturity, um, giving us challenges that will shape us and transform us. Um, We thank you for your word, uh, that we're able to see in it a timeless revelation of who you are. I pray, Lord, that it would be profitable for us as we open your word, that we would see that uh, no matter our background or life stage, that it would be relevant to us. Um, I pray a blessing on Jeff that as he shares, he would have the liberty uh, to speak as your mouthpiece. Trust in the Holy Spirit uh, will help us see as well. And we pray that would be true in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And I do, I do love it. I love this part of the country. I travel everywhere. It is one of the most beautiful. He says it everywhere he goes, and I don't say that everywhere I go. I go to a lot of cities, and this is one of the most beautiful. I love it. I tell you what, though, it is much easier to acclimate to a climate that has two digits in its temperature. And so I probably, that would be the one thing. I came prepared this weekend, except I didn't bring any long underwear, and that is needed here. It's very cold out there. Uh, it's great to be with you guys. I'm uh, the family pastor at the church at Spring Hill, just south of Nashville. And so I don't, I don't like to be away. You know, my family's there worshiping this morning. It's an hour earlier, but they're just cranking it up. Uh, but this, I love doing this. So I do this about probably five or six times a year. I've been working with your church for several years. So I wanted to come here and spend some time with you. Uh, my hope and prayer, like you said, is that uh, God will speak to you this morning. Uh, he might use me to say something, but I hope that he engages you more through his word. I pray that the Holy Spirit engages you because the beauty of that is the Holy Spirit goes with you. God's word goes with you. You can forget what I said. I don't, that's fine with me. I don't care if you remember anything that I say, but I do hope that God uses some words on the platform to move your heart as we come around some central ideas. Well, I want to introduce my family a little bit to you. That'll give you a little context. I don't think I'm going to alienate any non-parents or anybody that's done with parenting or any of you that might be single because we're going to be talking about our relationship with the father regardless of our family situation. But it will play out in the lives of our families at home uh, for the rest of our lives, we hope. My, um, my beautiful wife is the kids director at our church. And so this is my family. Now, I just want to say something. This is the Facebook picture you all know what I mean because it takes 30 minutes to get this one when you have kids. You spend, like, especially, I love it because my older boys know that it drives my wife crazy. So they like to take their time. So this is uh, my family. The tall one in the back is about to graduate from high school. Not sure where he's going to go yet. He's got to figure that out quick and how we're going to pay for it. And then the one on the right, uh, he's, uh, he is a freshman at Alabama, which breaks the heart of this Georgia boy, but they showed us the money, and so that's where he's going. Then my daughter, Ella, is in the middle. Uh, She's adopted and will never be taller than anybody else in the family. Uh, That's my beautiful wife. And that's Maddox on the left. So we have three wonderful children and Maddox. And because the next picture shows you uh, what was going on before the picture, uh, this is what it looked like because he wasn't there. And uh, I had no idea what was going on, but this is how Maddox wanted our family picture to be. And this is the next slide. So he he just started wrestling this year and he thought it'd be a great idea in our family picture to wear his new unitard or whatever it's called. (laughs) 
it took us 45 minutes to take one picture. That's one second in our life. So anyway, that's the Reed clan. Um, And I I want you to just kind of see a little bit of that because it will give you a better picture of the journey of my own life as a dad. And uh, if you come tonight, please, if you have kids, come tonight. Or if you interact with kids anyway, if you're a grandparent um, you, or a teacher, an educator, like there's some, there's, there's some things we're going to go over tonight that will really take what we're doing this morning and, and unpack and how it plays out in the home and in the family and how the church and the family can partner together in our spiritual journeys. But I want to sort of bring you to where I'm coming today, and that is a conversation I had with my oldest, who, again, is a freshman in college. He was in about the seventh grade, and he came home crying. Uh, it, actually, it was before that. It was just, I think it was the sixth grade because he was not yet in middle school. And he came home crying one day after school. My wife and I were standing there in the kitchen, and it was report card day. And he was just distraught because he had gotten his first B. Uh, and some of you are thinking, well, that's awesome. My kid, if he's got all C's, I'd love it if he got his first B. Well, in the context, he had just, he was, he's a bright kid, but he had um, never had to deal with that before and had an assumption of how we would feel about him if he got a B. And so he kind of broke down and we had a long conversation that went something like this. And it had gone like this for many times. And at the end of the conversation, I repented, but it was something like this. But buddy, it's okay. You you can you can bring it up, and instead of going B's are okay, I went. You can bring it up and get an A at the end of the year. It was only the half year report. He's like, Dad. He told my wife prior to this that he felt like I put too much pressure on him, which I of course blamed her for. <laughs> he he said, like it's really really hard to get A's, and we we're in a really good school system in Dallas, Texas at the time. I was like, ah. Uh, I know, but do you know, we we really don't care that you get A's or not. But what we do want you to know is that if you get A's now, you're going to be put in the more advanced classes in middle school. What you're going, yeah, that's a good, that's a good reason. So he goes, well, so what's the, what's the point of that? Well, if you get in the good classes in middle school and you maintain good grades, what do you get in when in high school? Everybody, you get AP classes or advanced classes, which is advanced placement. You actually can get college credit early. And he is in college now, and he got a full year of college behind him before you. That's, I'm fast-forwarding again. Go back, to the, go back to the conversation. So what, what if I get AP classes? Well, if you get AP classes, you could, you could get scholarships. If you maintain a high GPA, you can better go to a better school. So what, what then? Well, if you go to a good school, depending on what you major in, you have a really good chance with a college degree. You have a, an, an, a head up on everybody else, and uh, you could get a good job. He said, so, so? I said, well, you know, if you get a good job, you, you, can, you can really, and this is when I'm getting to, okay, I, got, I know where this is going. Okay, I got the justification right here. You know what, son? If you get a good job, you'll be able to fund the ministries in whatever church you attend. He says, what, what if I want to be in the ministry? I said, well, you won't make any money, but that's a good point. And my wife and I that year read a book called Kisses from Katie. It's a story of a young lady named Katie Davis that was called as a young teenager into the mission field. So imagine if you're a parent and your child that you have all your hopes and dreams on, that you're living vicariously through, comes to you and says, I I, want to be a missionary. Oh, what's our first response? Hey, let's finish college first. Let's get our job. You take your little year off, do that, come back. Nope. 
was not the case for her. This young girl who went on to become the valedictorian of her high school class graduated and immediately went into the mission field as a young woman and within three years had adopted 20 young African orphan girls. And she's, she's the equivalent of a, a Protestant Mother Teresa, if you will. God called her to something way different than her family. Kisses from Katie is the book, if you ever get a chance to read it. And and it woke us up to the idea that God has a greater plan and a greater rhythm, if you will, for our lives than than we could ever fathom in our children's lives. So it caused us to step back. and, and, And once again, as we have to do on a regular basis, you'll understand this. If you're a parent, you have to constantly give your kids over to the Lord and say, they're, your, they're yours, Lord. Teach me to be a good parent and yet stay out of your way. And, and that's what we did. And so, so in the process of the last few years and since working for Lifeway, as I go and visit with churches across the country, I find that churches, even though they desire to partner with families and with people as they grow in their faith, they still don't have a good strategy. And then even those that do develop a strategy don't have quite the culture that they want to to implement that strategy. And so we've, you've probably heard the saying or maybe you haven't, but it's true that culture eats strategy for breakfast because you can have all the strategy you want to, but if your culture isn't different. So one of my jobs and passions is to come into churches and and teach them not just a strategy, but teach them to change their culture that revolves around family, that revolves around helping the family create rhythms in their lives. I'll unpack these in depth tonight. Please come back. But this morning, I just want to cover three primary rhythms that I think God has established in his universe and that wants to establish in our lives. Let me pray. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for uh, this time this morning. I pray that you would uh, use me, that I would be a conduit for you and your truth. And that again, Lord, I would get out of your way. Uh, we want to hear from you this morning. It's in your name we pray. I'm, uh, I, I have a lot of, in my mind, feel like people look at me because of my position at Lifeway, because I'm the family pastor. And I recall once in Alpharetta, Georgia, I was the young worship pastor at this church. And we only had two little ones at the time. Addison was two. And it was after church one day, and we were at the IHOP, the International House of Pancakes. Uh, have you ever been there? Because I don't, there's not pancakes from all over the world there. But I don't know why they call it that. In any case, we're, we're eating lunch. It was, it was lunch for breakfast or breakfast for lunch. And we're there, and just m- mind you, our parenting style is very, like, we're very firm, but we... Addison was two, and I don't think I had ever spanked him, or maybe maybe once when his little pat on the hand. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just telling you from our, our parenting and our perspective. We didn't really have to with him. However, nobody else knows that, right? So we're in the restaurant, and Addison's starting to act up. Usually what it takes is for me to pick him up out of his high chair and walk him to the corner and just get out, get on his level, and no smile whatsoever and say, you're going to do exactly what we tell you to do right now. Do you understand? Say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then he does it. And that was it. Well, in this particular instance, I don't know what happened. He had to have seen this in a movie or something. So he's acting up and he, he throws his food. And I say, don't, don't do that again or I'm going to have to take you out and talk to you. And when we say that, we want we are, our yes to be yes and our no to be no. And so unlike, I mean it this time. No, I mean it when I say it the first time. So he goes, he looks at me and he throws, throws something at his little brother. And so I pick him up and immediately he starts screaming and crying. And I look at my wife's like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. So I take him and I'm kind of holding him and he's screaming and doing the, the, the back arching thing. 
And all the way to the bathroom, he yells, Daddy, don't beat me! I, I'm going, I don't hit him. I don't hit him. I don't hit him. I've never hit him before. He's screaming all the way to the bathroom. Uh, there's, a lot of, uh, there, there's a lot of people that look at how we live our lives. And so today I want to unpack the three things that will help you live in sync. Uh, you, you, you should always be aware of what people do when they see you and how they live and how you parent. But more importantly, are you a child of God? Are you living the way that God wants you to live? So real, real quick, and I'm going to try to have us out of here by noon. Uh, so let's unpack, uh, unpack this in God's word. So one of the keys growing in, by the way, note page, if you have this, you can fill it in. Uh, if not, that's okay. I'll be reading most of the scripture. Some of it will be on the screen. One of the keys to growing in your faith is discovering and living in sync with the rhythms of God. And there are three primary areas that we're going to look at. Two are observable in nature. The cycles of God's universe give us the predetermined rhythms of the day and of the year. Now, we have bigger cycles that are really difficult for us to observe unless you're an astronomer. There is a, there's a rotation to our galaxy. There's a rotation uh, to our solar system. Uh, but the ones that we can see that are observable are, are the day that we do have a time that the sun rises, that the sun falls. It's observable. We also have seasons that are observable, that change. And so these are two that, that, that we see regularly. And there's, there's another one that's not so much determined by nature, though if you look closely, it is, and that's the week. So today, I, I want to give you a visual here. If you have an iPad or iPhone, you know, you got the picture there, and then when you want to zoom on it, you pinch, you pinch and you zoom in, we're, we're, or zoom out. We're going to start big and talk about uh, the rhythm of God's annual cycle, and then we're going to talk about the rhythm of God's week. And even though that's not as observable in nature, it really is because a week is also a quarter of the moon's phase. If you, did, if you didn't know that. So, so and God, we'll see, we'll pack, un, unpack scripture and see how God actually gives us a pretty good template for what a week would look like any, in any case. So in your life, we all have those cycles and we all have those things going on, but they're also observable in nature. So let's look at that just a little bit. What does a year in the life look like? Well, how is your year? <laughs> I know that if you have kids in school, uh, some of you may homeschool, but you still have seasons, what is the one thing we tend to look forward to? Vacation or the break or, or summer when the snow melts. Uh, I went to upstate New York a couple weeks ago, and the snow was on the ground. It had been on the ground for a month, and it's going to be on the ground for another month. And they, they say, well, the first stall is not really the snow's gone because it's going to snow again probably. But usually around May or June, the grass starts coming up, and they, they all look forward to that. They all look forward to when they don't have to shovel snow anymore. Uh, school gets out, so you have time with kids. And so there's a, there's a cycle that all of us experience. One of my favorite times of year is Christmas. Absolutely love it. I, I love uh, that my family's all there. I love that w- uh, the gift thing is great. I just, there's something about that time of year. And now that I follow the Lord, there's the anticipation of Christmas uh, that mirrors the anticipation of the arrival of the Messiah, the, the Advent season, the arrival of God with us, Emmanuel. So I love, Christmas is my favorite time. How about you? Is it, is it Easter? Is it, is it Mother's Day? Is it, is it Father's Day? Is it 4th of July? 
Is it, if you serve, it could be Veterans Day or, or Memorial Day. We have all these things that happen once a year in our life, and we tend to live our lives as a nation in that cycle. Every four years, we have the Olympics. Every four years, we have elections. And now we have two years Summer Olympics, two years Winter Olympics. We tend to live our lives around the cycle of the year. We have calendars that last generally how long? 12 months. They have the pictures of puppies that my daughter has in her room, and uh, it's going to change every next year. It's Chris Pratt now, which i got to get over that. She's learned to like guys. So I'm, I'm not giving her a Chris Pratt poster, but we tend to live our lives cyclically, and, and the year is one that's very common. In fact, the cycle of seasons in a year greatly affect our holy days, our holidays, our education, our vocation. Many of you have jobs that revolve around the year, and our vacations, which some of us need to take more often. Well, let's unpack scripture a little bit, and if you will, I'll be, I'll be, you can read along, you can open your, your Bible, or you can read on the screen. The first passage I want to read is from Genesis 8.22. This is, this is pretty clear because we've got a nice little section about the promises of God, and then we've got this little sort of poetic passage here, verse 22, and it says this, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night will not cease. That's a powerful verse. As long as the earth endures. And that, in other words, there might be a time when we don't have seasons, but we'll probably be eternally, eternally connected in heaven to the Lord, and we won't be living on the same earth we're living on now. But as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night will not cease. It says in Ecclesiastes 3.1, there's a time for everything under the seven if you're under the, under the heavens. And if you're a child of the 60s, you know the song. To everything turn, turn, and a time for every purpose under heaven. And actually took that from Ecclesiastes 3.1. God gives us a good picture that there is a, an annual or seasonal cycle to our universe and to our lives. Another great passage uh, we read from Psalm 104, verse 19. Psalm 104, verse 19. He made the moon to mark the festivals. The sun knows when to set. You bring darkness and it becomes night when all the forest animals stir. The young lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises. They go back and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until evening. So it talks about the day there a little bit too, but it talks about the cycle of the moon. And this is interesting. Of the dozens of parables that Jesus uses, over half are connected to seasons or harvest or growth. Sometimes they're monetary illustrations, but they're connected to harvest. There's the, there's the workers in the field. There's the parable of the sower, because at that time and, and your time, and, and really in this part of the country, our lives are very much connected to the cycle of nature that God gives us in a year. But what about you? Little challenge. Do you try to sink your life with the cycle of God's annual cycle, his annual rhythm. What, what, how's that possible? Well, I, I know this because when I grew up uh, and I was young, I didn't go to church, but I remembered that a lot of people would disappear at certain days of the week and at certain times of the year. My friends that went to church, I didn't go to church. And it used to be in our culture that the church was a hub of our life. In, in most cases, 30, 40 years ago, definitely 50 years ago when my grandparents were around, it was like most people went to church because it was a hub. 
but now it's become a spoke on the wheel. And so do you plan some of the things in your life? For example, we make sure that every year our kids have the opportunity to go to camp. So we plan vacations during the summer, but one of our prior, your pastors are loving this. I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not doing this to, to pump up the attendance at your church or to make your involvement in VBS or camp hire. I'm doing this because there is value in syncing with God's rhythm. And the annual rhythm of the church is a very important thing for you as well. Your church doesn't just celebrate Christmas. It celebrates celebrates the arrival of the Messiah. Do you set aside your time, not just to come to that awesome candlelight service that your church does, but do you look forward to inviting other people into that? Do you look forward to looking forward to the arrival of Jesus? Plan your year accordingly. Plan, Plan your year and your cycle so that you sync up more with God's timing and God's rhythm. Because God wants to use you in the midst of this church to do things in this community and for your culture. But in order for that to happen, it can be an afterthought to you. Find out if there's things you can do. I I know I learned this morning that you guys take a mission team to New York every year to a place that is, I I go to New York and it's, it's a, it is a melting pot and, and having a spiritual conversation there with somebody is very akin to being a missionary in a foreign land where they don't speak your language because that actually is the case in a lot of places in New York city. So going there and speaking to people about your faith and specifically sharing the gospel is difficult. I encourage and challenge some of you to to fashion your year so that you'll have times cleared so that you can engage with your church in those projects. That if there's a mission trip coming up, that you would, you would schedule the rhythm of your year around those things. That if, okay, this is my heart here. That if there's, you guys do VBS, and I know this because Brooke goes, she, she goes to Lifeway or goes to our training events every year. V, research just came out. VBS is the number one evangelistic tool of the church, and we knew that. But we also know that it still has an impact on those churches that do it and do it intentionally. So you're thinking, oh, no. Listen, I'm not going to be here in four months. It doesn't affect me. I'm only telling you that if you'll invest one week of your life in investing in kids, you will lose that one week perhaps and only a few hours a day of that week, but you will change the lives of those kids eternally, especially you men. Having, having, having guys around has a big impact on kids, especially boys. So um, I'm just selling your VBS for you. I'm telling you, it, it has to do with you planning ahead because if you don't, you're going to be gone that week or that's your camping week or there's so many things that come up. I'm not telling you not to do those things. I'm only telling you to make the priority God's annual rhythm in your life. And I know this, listen to this. When we sync with God's annual rhythm, we experience the greatest spiritual growth. Sync with God's rhythm. When we sync with his annual rhythm, we are given time to reflect on the longer journey that God has with his people. So I'm going to, let's look at this picture. We're in a big picture here. We're about to zoom in, but if we look at an annual rhythm, it gives us a better opportunity to sync with God's church and his people. So let's zoom in. And I want you to hold on here because I'm going to give you some things, but, but don't get ahead of me. You're going to think, okay, I need to start planning my vacation. Don't worry about that right now because there's one thing you can do that will affect everything else. And I'll get to that at the very end today. So let's zoom in now. We've talked about the annual rhythm of God. We see it clearly in nature. Uh, You see it when you start shoveling snow, there's a cycle to our lives, but there's also a cycle to his ministry in our church. Our church's ministries sort of revolve around that. Churches tend to have a kickoff in the fall when school starts back up. Uh, Churches tend to 
to do a huge candlelight service at Christmas. It's a big ministry event to the church. Obviously, Easter, even though it rotates according to the lunar cycle every year, uh, did you know? I don't know if you knew that. Uh, and so it, it rotates, but that's a huge event for the church, a huge time to invite. And then churches tend to do different ministry in the summer. In most cases, especially if you're like in Florida, when people go to their second home or in New York or wherever, if people have second homes. I don't know how they can afford that, but you might have that. I'm not saying that's bad, but it's people just go to those homes sometimes and it tends to be during the summer. People sort of take a break. I would encourage you to lean in and maybe see what your church needs during the summer. So let's look at the next window. We've talked about the annual rhythm. What is, what is a week in the life of a follower of Christ? What does it look like? Well, I know this, the rhythm of the week of our lives determine the hours of our work, the weekend of our teams, and the amount of rest, if any. Uh, any sports fans in here? I'm sorry about the Eagles this year if you're an Eagles fan. It was, they, they had a good run. Uh, I, I serve the Miami Dolphins, and they've not had a good run in a long time. When I was pastor in Dallas, Texas, Carrollton, Texas, the suburbs of Dallas, I was in Amarillo prior to that when there's a lot of college action going on, which is on Saturdays. But the Sunday thing, I had no idea how committed people are, not to Jesus, but to the Cowboys. And, th- and when I came there, I was a senior pastor, and the elders were like, because uh, it was my, f- I, was, I came in the spring. They were like, summer was coming along. So I was like, hey, uh, this is what I'm planning this series in the fall. They're like, and they had to, t- they had to break it down to me. He's like, you're going to try really hard to convince your people it's okay to be a little late watching the game or that it's okay to come to church on Sunday when the Cowboys are playing and you're not going to succeed. That was my elders telling me this. I was like, well, don't they love Jesus? They're like, they do. And they love him a lot. They love him first, except a few Sundays of the year. I'm like, really? Like, that's, that, that's why Jesus, that's why we talk about the importance of the Sabbath. They're like, I know. So I did what every good pastor would do. I conceded. Uh, I, I promised them that on Sundays, the service would be over by 12. For many of them, that was good enough. And I kept my word. Many of them, it didn't matter. They'd wake up and put on their cowboy garb. And they would stay home. Or in many cases, go to the games. They were really expensive, but some of our families got to go and their dedication and their rhythm was focused on something else for that season. And I, and again, I went with it. I became a temporary Cowboys fan. I'm a Titans fan now, but it is amazing what we'll let interrupt our lives. And it's amazing how the cycle of the week catches up with us. It used to be that people pretty much worked 40 to 50 hours a week, but I know, and probably many of you in here work more than that, 70, 80 hours a week. And it's hard to ever get in a rhythm isn't it? And then even if you do get in rhythm, some of us, many of us are exhausted by the time it gets to the weekend. And so we might crash on Saturday, but what's Saturday? It's our day to work in the yard. It's Saturday's our day to, to maybe if we have a chance, we do something with the kids. If your kids play sports, guess what you're doing on Saturdays? You're going to go watch them play sports. And if you're like me, Maddox, this is his first year wrestling. I didn't, I didn't know this because you go to a football game and I'll watch the football game for an hour and a half. If you go to a wrestling tournament or a wrestling match, it is from eight o'clock in the morning to six o'clock at night. And your child wrestles for three minutes. So it's watching a bunch of other people's kids wrestle. So that's what our Saturday's like. So, so then by the time you get to Sunday morning, man, we're pretty wiped out. 
most of us pretty wiped out. I mean, I'm, I'm a pastor and I, I go. I, we, we, as a family, try not to ever miss church. Even when we go on vacation, we look for church to go to a place to worship when we're on the road. But it's tough to, to, it's tough to sync up with the rhythm of the Sabbath. Let's look at scripture a little bit. This one has a lot. Now, I wanted you to hear me, hear me say this. Uh, this is not, not a legalistic thing. We see, as we'll unpack when we read in the Old Testament, it's a very important thing to observe. But there are no Pharisees in the hallway that are going to condemn you if you mow your yard on Sunday. The point of all this, as we'll see, is that God wants us to set aside time to rest. Let's look at some key passages here. One of the best ones, it gives us a clear picture, uh, is Genesis chapter 1. We see it as God unfolds in Scripture. Uh, we, I'm not going to read the whole passage. It's, it's pretty long. But he, he unpacks the six days of creation, and on the seventh day he rested. And so before those of you that are thinking of the theological issues here of God actually being tired, it doesn't mean God was like, oh, man, all these stars, all these galaxies. Woo! Now, it's not like that. It re- by resting, it means he stopped working. He didn't need the rest, but he stopped working. And he also did it from the very beginning, from, the, from literally the bookend of Scripture in Genesis. He establishes a pattern that he wants us to observe as well. And all the work that you do during the week, minimally, if not the whole weekend, at least take a break from the work and rest. And so if you're a Seventh-day Adventist, it's this time, but we're, we're not going there. The fact is, Sunday's been set aside as our time to worship together. Hebrews 10.25 tells us, Paul says, don't forsake the gathering of the saints as some are than a habit of doing. That means we need to come together in community to hear God's word being spoken, to, to worship together, to sing together, to say hey to friends, to make new friends, to establish community. Let's look again at scripture. This is a great passage in the book of Exodus. I'm not going to read this as well because you're probably familiar with it, but it It is the Ten Commandments. We see it a couple of times in Scripture, but here we see where they're introduced to God's people. It is interesting to note that in the Ten Commandments, the command to observe the Sabbath is the only one involving a specific time or rhythm. The others have a lot more to do with our behavior and what we should and shouldn't do. Uh, But this one is specific. It's like, hey, I want you to to observe this. Keep this day holy. It goes into some other details. And, And the Pharisees attempted to call Jesus out on those as we see in the New Testament. But God wants us to establish a rhythm. He thought it so important that as he summarized the 10 most important things for his people in the early days of the relationship. He said, listen, uh, we're pretty busy here. We've gone through a lot. I need you to rest every now and then. We've already established that there's a day every seven days and you're going to rest on this day. Keep it holy. That means keep everything that is a distraction from God away from that day to keep it holy. Again, I'm not being legalistic about this, but I would say that many of us would take that statement, yeah, it's not a legalistic thing, and go the other way and totally uh, sort of ignore the importance of worship, of corporate worship and and resting. And, And I would caution you, man, it's important for your heart and your life to take a break. It's important for you to to take a break from work. It's in those times when we connect with our our spouses, our kids. It's it's in those times when we hear from God when 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 we're just not, we don't have to worry about work for a little bit. We don't have to worry about the 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 things that get us from day to day. We can just rest. And in some cases that might actually literally mean sleeping. All of us need more of that as well. Well, let's look at this 
this is interesting. I noticed this, uh, I was just doing research on because I wondered why in some cultures is seven, is it seven days a week? And in most cultures on the planet, it is a seven day week, even non-Christian cultures. It has something to do with the cycle of the moon. Occasionally we'll see a culture that pops up in civilization. There were a few that had eight day weeks. Uh, the Romans, I believe had five day weeks. Uh, but, but we also know that the, the, culture with the most money tends to determine things. And so we've seen after the last century or so that most of the world, the planet has settled around a seven day week. It's also interesting in the note that seven is the most used number in scripture. It's more than anything else. It often represents balance in the scriptures. And though there's nothing mystical there, it's not a magical number. I know people have lucky numbers. Yours might be seven, and that's fine. I don't believe in luck. But a week with rhythm can bring balance to our lives. So we have a seven-day week, whether we like it or not. So find a way to find balance in your life considering that. We also know this is great, and I I put a couple of sources in here if you want to look this up. The human body is in the healthiest state when a daily and weekly pattern is established. Especially when there's a predetermined weekly time of rest. My oldest son in Alabama doesn't sleep a whole lot, and it affects his health, and he sees that. He's starting to... He used to, when he was a teenager, slept all the time. Now he hardly sleeps. We're trying to teach him to establish a pattern for the sake of his health, for the sake of his intellect. We, we learn better when we're, when we're well-rested. We interact with people when we're not tired. If you have a toddler, you know they're tired in most cases by one thing. They start getting grumpy and start reacting differently because they need rest. We just simply learn to mask that as we get older, but we can also get grumpy if we don't have the rest that God gives us. Your spouses are going, amen. When we sync with God's weekly rhythm, we can rest as well as participate in the ministry of the church or our church. And so if you sync with God's annual rhythm, you can see him moving in God's people. When you sync with God's weekly rhythm, you have a great opportunity to sync with what your church does. You know, your church has worship every Sunday. Your church has kids that are being shared the gospel right now. I know the curriculum they use is the curriculum I, I use at my church. It unpacks the gospel and all of scripture. It unpacks Jesus in the Old Testament, and, and it reveals that really it's one big story. And there's leaders there right now this weekend that are teaching them, that are giving them their time, and they're synced up with the church this cycle. This morning, your worship team showed up uh, apparently but way before I did, probably 7, 7.30, and started uh, working on getting the notes all right making sure they didn't miss notes and the harmonies were good. The sound team was here. They made sure all the light settings were good. There's a, there's a rhythm to their lives. And many of them are paid on their staff. So you're thinking, well, that's what they do. Well, a lot of them are volunteers, but they've just realized the importance of syncing up their week with the church's week. And so I, I would encourage you to do that as well. Your church has the opportunity for you not just to be here in corporate worship, but the opportunity for you to be in small, smaller groups of community. Many of you will come here today, you'll meet people, you'll shake hands, and you'll go home and you won't have any questions or exchange or interactions, and that's fine. That might be where you are, but I would encourage you, I would implore you to get deeper, more deeply involved in the church, to get plugged into community. Because if you desire for God to move in your heart, if you desire 
for Jesus to transform your heart, one of the primary ways he's going to do it is through other people in community. God's word will change you. Worshiping together will change you. Being in community will change you greatly. So try to synchronize the rhythm of your life with God's weekly rhythm, and you'll find that there's a greater opportunity for you to participate in the ministry of your church. And finally, I want to hone in on one more thing. A day in the life. This one, tonight, really, it hits home with parents. This is the most neglected and yet the most important. In our conversation with our son, we were looking so far down the road, so far towards his probable college experience and probable career that we were, we were forgetting what was most important is what was happening right there in that kitchen. Hugged on our crying son and said, dude, I'm, I said, I'm so sorry I put this pressure on you. It, it is okay if you get a B. Grades will help you, but I want you to do what God has called you to do. I want you to be the person he's called you to be. I, I don't want you to be stressed out about this. Don't cry anymore. You're going to get some C's and D's and maybe some F's down the road. Just get through it. Study, work hard, but don't put too much pressure on yourself. Follow the Lord's path for your life. So this is the one that I want you to lean in on, the most neglected. It's this. It's the daily rhythm. This is a beautiful passage. It's one of the most popular. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Now, consider this. God does not sleep. God is always awake. He's over us while we're sleeping. But because we do have a daily cycle, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. If you're on the night shift, they're new every night for you when you wake up. I have a friend that works the 911 line in Nashville. And so she comes to church right after she, uh, right after she gets off work every Sunday. Doesn't ever miss. Comes to church every Sunday right after she gets off work. Then she goes home and sleeps all the way to dinner time. It's just like, it's hard for me to even perceive that. But if you've worked night shift, that's what it is for you. The daily rhythm we have with God is critical. Matthew 6 I'm not going to read this again. You know the passage, but everything that's on the sheet, please go read it later. Matthew six eleven. It's the Lord's prayer, uh, and it's it's amazing to know. You know the Lord's prayer, right? There's one line in there that we tend to look over. Give us this day our daily bread. In the midst of that prayer, we're connecting with the Lord, but the focus that's in the center of that prayer is give us today our daily bread. And if you unpack and you keep reading through to the end of Matthew, we see that there's a whole passage there. It's interesting because my Bible actually says the cure for anxiety. It's the, the, you know, it's not written like that in the original text, but it's just sort of a summary of the last of the end of that. And it says at the very end, be anxious for nothing. Do not be anxious for tomorrow. God wants us to really focus on the here and now. And this is where I want to close this out. Deuteronomy 6 lays out a beautiful plan for the day in the midst of the, of the life of a follower of Christ. When we sync with God's daily rhythm, we're given time to reflect on the longer journey that God has with his people. So in closing, I just want to, you can go home with some ideas. Okay, we're going to maybe, maybe we go on vacation still, but we're more intentional about it. Or maybe we double down and do a vacation with one of our mission trips. Or, or maybe I need to look at how my week goes and consider that, that church is more important than watching the Eagles or Cowboys lose again. Or, or what, but 
don't miss this. If you go away with one thing today, establish your daily rhythm with the Lord. And this one is, is really the, the, the most simple one. I'm going to give you two things to do. This is why. When you establish a daily rhythm with God, two things, reading his word and praying. When you do those two things, do you know what you start to see in scripture? The importance of Sabbath. When you pray regularly and read God's word regularly, what do you see in scripture? The importance of syncing up with the ministry of the church in a year. So before, I mean, those things are important and I want you to do those, but if you will focus on spending time daily with the Lord, reading his word and praying, the other things in your life will start to sync up with God's rhythm. The daily rhythm is the most important, but it's the most neglected. So here's, here's what I want you to do. Uh, and, and there's so many things you can read. I'm not going to put a bunch of books and things. There, you can, there's a Lifeway store in Lancaster. You can go there. They've got a plethora of devotionals. Uh, start with your Bible. I, I got this Bible last year, and, and I'm going through it with my son. It's the Disciples Bible. It's got some extra studies. It's a, it's a regular you know, Bible, but it's got some studies in the side. So my son and I read this together. We go through certain passages. And the, the hard part about being a dad is that you have teenagers that just tell you the truth, and they're really honest. So I can't, when I know he's going to be meeting with me, I, I have to read it. It's not just me and the Lord anymore. It's like my son is depending on me to stay in the Word. And so I encourage you to read God's word on a daily basis. Start with devotionals. I have a feeling that once you get used to that diet, you'll start to crave more and you'll, you'll, want, you'll go find. Your pastors here will recommend books to you. They have a library in their offices if you want to go deeper with the Lord. But start with a daily reading. Start with a daily prayer. When I ask parents across the country if they pray with their kids, most say yes. But if I take out, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. By his hands we all have give us Lord our daily bread, amen. If I take out the mealtime prayer, it just doesn't happen that often. So again, we'll talk tonight about the parent-kid thing. This is for you. Are you praying every day? Are you praying constantly? Praying without ceasing. That means uh, don't close your eyes when you drive, but are you thinking of the Lord and of the good things he's done for us? Are you, thinking about, are you thinking about the one thing that for many of you in this room was the prime catalytic event in your life, the salvation of your soul given by Jesus on the cross? If you're not sure what to pray, simply thank God for what he's done for you. Remember your salvation. It tells us both in the Old Testament and the New Testament to remember our salvation because we get distracted. Sometimes we think, well, I want to go deeper with the Lord. And sometimes the Lord's saying, I just need to remember the one thing that it did for you because that is going to be the catalyst for every other thing you want to do. Your, your depth in me is dependent on your remembering your salvation that he sent his son to pay the price for us that we couldn't pay that in our sin that we try constantly to dig our way out of, God sent his son to pay the price for our sins. And so if you're struggling and you haven't been praying, when you get home tonight, pray that. Say, God, I'm sorry. I just wanna, I wanna start over. I just thank you for dying for me. There might even be those of you in this room that have actually never said that prayer. So this will be a good opportunity to consider that. Just, God, just thank you for dying for me. Thank you for for paying the price for my sins. Forgive me for not walking with you 
on a daily basis. Teach me to stay in your word, Lord. Give me a, give me a hunger for your word so that I, like, like food that I really love to eat, that I'll crave your word as much or more than that, that I'll feel empty when I miss it, and that I thank you for your forgiveness that I can start over again and reengage you. Pray two things daily. Pray and read God's word. It's your best hope for sinking with God and his rhythm. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. I thank you for uh, this, this church and our, the leaders that I have met and see that have a passion to see people grow in their faith. I pray that everybody here today would see a need, a greater need to spend time with you, speaking to you, listening to you, and engaging your word. Thank you for engaging us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for uh, the freedom to worship you. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.